The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father, on this Christmas morning, as we read John's gospel, we know that you inspired John to write this magnificent hymn of praise about the incarnation. And we believe that as these words are read for us this morning, they have as much living power being spoken over this community as in the first day that they were written. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, on this Christmas morning, open this word to us. Open our hearts that we may receive afresh the Christ child. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. How does a person receive this Christmas gift? Christmas, the incarnation, God become flesh, is the greatest gift that's ever been given to any of us. Yet how do we receive it? I know this morning when we got up, we're, uh, my kids have always lived in a clergy household, so they know that daddy works on Christmas morning. Uh, so we're always used to that after dad crawls home after the uh, final service Christmas Eve, uh, we all get up as early as we can in the morning, gather around the tree, have some breakfast, open presents, and then dad goes off to work. So it's a rather quick unfolding of the presents. And of course, when you give a present, I don't know about you, but when I give a present, I'll watch the various presents gone out and, and you're watching to see, does the person receive it? And, and you know what I mean? It doesn't just mean opening it, but it means that sense of joy, that excitement, that they really received the present. We got a new um, mini schnauzer this time last year and uh, as a Christmas gift last year. This was his first Christmas with us. And so I'll tell you, our little dog, he received everyone's Christmas present this year. I mean, he was just so excited about every single gift under that tree. But the question of being received 
is really at the heart of John chapter one on this Christmas morning. All who received him, verse 12 says, who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God. This gift is a gift that needs to be received. And it's interesting, at the very end of John's gospel, he tells us how we will, broken, incomplete as we are, be able to receive this gift. This gift of Jesus Christ himself that will ultimately result in a new birth, a new life, being born again as children of God. See, it's, it's kind of like John bookends his gospel. He begins in John 1 with this question of, here's the word become flesh, right? The word who was with God at the beginning, the eternal God, now flesh among us. And the call at John 1, you need to receive this, John says. But then when you go all the way to the end of John's gospel, in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, after the resurrection, after Jesus has appeared to the disciples, after Thomas doubts and says, unless I see, I'll believe, what does John end chapter 20 with? He says, Jesus did many other things that are not recorded in this book, but these things are written so that you may believe that he is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. In other words, John bookends his gospel with this opening question of, here's the word made flesh, here's the gift, will you receive it? But then ends with this commendation, having told the whole Jesus story from Christmas through his life, through Easter, resurrection, ascension, says, here's how you receive as you read this story. See, the gift of God is that He has come in the flesh and his story has been recorded for us. That God's word has been written in such a way that we can now read the Christmas story. We can read Jesus' ministry in life. We can read of the passion and the resurrection. We can engage with this story. And John says this is how a person receives as they attend to this story. So the question this Christmas for me and for you is, Are we receiving? And I put that in an active present tense. Are we receiving Christ? I like how Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German martyr under Nazi Germany, used to say, don't don't say that I'm a Christian. Say instead that I am becoming a Christian. Right? We are always in the act of receiving Christ more and more into our lives. Are we actively receiving the Christ child in this season of our lives? I know that it was 24 years ago that I first became a Christian. I was raised as an atheist, and all of a sudden, within a 90-minute period, I met the Lord. And it all came together. I'd gone to Catholic uh, elementary and high school. My parents thought I'd get a bit of a moral education, even though we were practicing atheists. And so I'd heard a lot of the Bible. I'd heard the story told over me again and again. And here's what's amazing. In that moment, when I was just entering my senior year of high school, all those years of nuns and priests speaking Bible over me and me practically plug on my ears, those stories had got in. The word had gotten into me in such a way that when I finally encountered the living, risen Jesus... All of that Jesus story came together in that moment. And I walked out 90 minutes later from that youth group meeting I'd been invited to, reluctantly went to. And I said, I think Jesus is for real. I think probably everything written about him in the Bible is true. And I'm the biggest moron on the planet. See, the word of God become flesh, then becomes the word printed. His story, his life for us gets read. And as we read it, John says, as we soak in it, one of my favorite collects 
is from the second Sunday of Advent, which says this about God's word. He says, blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Help us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. That through patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and forever hold fast the hope of everlasting life. In other words, it is as we engage with the story of Jesus, John tells us we will receive him. It's interesting. Last night, looking at Luke chapter 2, in that whole story with the shepherds and the angels and Mary and Joseph and the baby swaddled, there's this moment And I alluded to it last night, but I didn't really open up those verses. In verses 18 and 19, when the shepherds come with this angelic message that they've been given and they share it, there's three responses. I mentioned last night the two responses that Mary has. But those who hear the shepherds' message about Christmas, first, verse 18 says, and they wondered. They wondered at the shepherds' words. But then we hear that Mary then treasured and pondered all these things. And I think if we believe, as John tells us, that it's through the reading of this story that we receive this gift of the Christ child, those words become for us disciple words in how we regard this story. Are we in the business of wondering as we engage with this story of Christmas? Are we in the business of pondering? Are we in the business of treasuring? See, wonder... Wondering with the story is a sense of amazement. I mean, when is the last time you and I were amazed by the Christmas story? Or the Jesus story in general? As you read him going through Galilee and raising the dead and healing people, do you stand amazed? Or has it become so familiar to us that we no longer wonder? When you come to Easter and you hear that the grave has been vacated, do we say, oh yeah, that's what happens at Easter? Or do we still wonder? Do we enter into this wonderment? It's interesting. We live in a culture that's so big on superhero movies right now. Right? For the last few years, all these different superhero movies coming out. And if you look under our tree today, a lot of the gifts that came out were superhero-oriented gifts because of people's favorite movies. And yes, I'll admit, some of the gifts were directed at me. I love superhero movies. But see, there's something about the human heart that gravitates towards this superhero, fantastical genre. You know, 20 years ago, it was when the Tolkien films were coming out. Everyone was just grabbing a hold of these. Because as we engage with these fantastical stories that are bigger than us, it creates a sense of wonder and amazement. There is nothing more wonderful and amazing than the story that is contained in this book if we take it seriously, if we read it with a new set of eyes. Again, familiarity can breed contempt. We can become so familiar with the text that we say, oh, well, it's just old hat. Do we instead pray for the grace to have fresh eyes of wonderment as we hear this story? I like how Queen Lucy in Narnia and C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia speaking in the final book about uh, this stable. She says these words, She says, in our world too, she's speaking of our world, the human world, a stable once held something inside it that was bigger than the whole world. I mean, that's the language of wonderment, to hear these stories and engage with those eyes of wonder. But not just wonderment. As we engage with a story, do we ponder it? Pondering 
it's interesting, is a, is a very cognitive word. It means to think it through. It actually, literally in the Greek, means to connect the dots. That pondering is about connecting one thing to another, thinking it over, rehearsing it again and again, seeing the application, seeing how it works into your life. See, verse 11 of John's gospel says that though he came to his own people, his own people did not receive him. That receiving Jesus is not just a given. There are many who will hear this story and regrettably never receive him. And why is that? It seems as we look at scripture, we see that there are attitudes of pondering, cognitive engagement with the text that is kind of a closed-minded pondering. You know, kind of like, I'll, I'll, it's a bit of a doubting Thomas. Unless I see, I won't believe. But we also see in scripture a posture of open-minded pondering, ready to be engaged, ready to be explored. A, n- a number of years ago, I have a friend of mine who's a, Who's, an, who's a former atheist, still is an atheist. We were atheists together years ago. Um, I, he feels I abandoned him in his atheism. And we would engage again and again, you know, every time we'd see each other. And, and it would always turn into a big battle. I mean, it would go from a nice conversation to by the end, you know, it's like we're never going to talk to each other again. It just got awful. You know, old friends are sometimes like that, right? Finally, a number of years ago, as we were talking about this, engaging with this, and he just always, on any matter related to Christianity, he just closes down and gets angry. I finally said to him, after years of battling with him, I said, do you even want to talk about this? And he said, no, I don't know why you keep bringing it up. And in that moment, I realized his approach was such a closed-minded approach to this that all I was doing was poking the bear. Instead, I moved my posture to praying for him rather than trying to aggravate him with the gospel. See, the point is there's a closed-minded pondering, but then there's an open-minded pondering. I think of the young girl who walked into our church a number of years ago when I was serving in Ottawa. She came in and I could tell that she was new. She sat there and, you know, everything about the way she dressed and looked and the frown on her face said, you know, this is alternative lifestyle. I really don't like what I'm hearing. And so I made a beeline over to after the service. And I said, good morning. And she, she greeted me. And I said, you're new here. She says, you could tell. And I said, well, you know, I haven't seen you before. And she said, um, she said I didn't agree with most of what you said in your, in your talk. And I said, well, that's, that's okay. You know, and she said, can I come back next week? And I said, of course you can. And so she came back again and again and eventually went for coffee and sat down. And what was amazing as we sat over Starbucks such a contrast to my friend I just described is as she sat down angry at the church, angry at God, angry at a lot of people, every subject we brought up, she had an open-minded approach. She would say, tell me about Jesus. I don't really like what he does when he says this, but she'd say, tell me about it. I want to know. She had an open-minded pondering that was refreshing. And when that girl came to faith and was baptized, I saw the effect the true effect of how the gospel with an open-minded ponderer can change a life. You see, our reception of Jesus, our daily reception of Jesus, is not just about wonderment, but it's about pondering. Do we take the time through the year, not just on Christmas, do we take the time to engage with this story, to ponder it, to work it through? What I find again and again, having been a Christian now 24 years, the story is inexhaustible. I mean, I'll tell you, as a preacher, someone who gets up and has to preach God's word, has to, gets to preach God's word, 
pretty much every Sunday. People often ask me, they say, how do you manage to find something to say every week? Especially when you come back to the same text a few years later. And I'll say, the text is never the same. There's always more. I swear every passage, every, every three or four verses of scripture, we could preach a year's worth of sermons on them and that would not still not exhaust the text. Do we ponder this story? But finally, not only do we wonder at the story, not only do we ponder it and take time to think it through. I, I love how C.S. Lewis says about taking time to ponder it. He said, you know, if Christianity, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, but if true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Right? Taking that time to ponder over the text of Scripture, to ponder over the story of Jesus, but not just wonderment, not just pondering, but treasuring. There's something about treasuring the story, and let's be careful. I don't mean a sentimental treasuring. That's not what the word means. See, treasuring here means literally to keep alive. That is, Mary was treasuring all these things in her heart. It doesn't mean a sentimental scrapbooking of these things necessarily, but it means instead actively keeping this story alive. Not only engaging with it in our minds, but engaging with it in our heart, in our practice, in our actions. I love it the, near the end of this text I read today from John 1, this amazing incarnation passage. It says in verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. In other words, grace that just keeps coming. And grace, that word, that, that word that means unmerited, unearned kindness from God. We in this gospel, we in this relationship with Jesus receive grace, kindness, unearned again and again. It flows. And here's what I mean with treasuring and grace. See, treasuring is really about the activities and actions we have. It's not sentimental. It's very physical. It's very intentional. And what we're doing right here is a treasuring. We're gathering. Right? When we come to the Lord's table every week, we're gathering at the Lord's table. That's an act of treasuring. It's keeping this story alive for us. It's these habits and these practices, our prayer, our study, our coming to church, our coming to the table. This is all how we treasure this story. We keep it alive. And here's my point. You don't need to feel good about your treasuring. Treasuring is something that will happen in the seasons where you're full of joy about the story. But treasuring can also happen in the seasons when you couldn't care less about the story. You still treasure it. You still act. You still have those habits of coming and receiving. I remember when I was a new believer, I was convinced that that spiritual high I experienced for those first few months, I thought, well, okay, this, I got to keep riding this. And I did whatever I could to keep riding that high. And you knew what happened, right? It happens to everyone. Eventually the high ends and you fall off the cliff. And I hit a bad patch. And I thought, oh, I guess Christianity just, did, just didn't take. It didn't work. That's a sentimentalizing of the faith. And I remember a good friend of mine saying to me in the midst of my first spiritual crisis, he said, do you know what you do when you begin to feel your faith waning? Do you know what you do when you feel like maybe the Christianity that was so alive in your heart is now shifting away? He says, you go to church. You go back. You gather at the table. You kneel down. You stick out your hands. You receive bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ. 
And watch what happens. Because in that treasuring, in that keeping this story alive, the Lord in his grace meets you there. See, when we first met Jesus, when we first received him, it was all about grace. We didn't earn it. But when we receive Jesus afresh today, tomorrow, in the worst seasons of our lives, it's grace all over again. It's not because we've made ourselves feel good about it. It's not because we've made ourselves moral and righteousness enough, righteous enough. It's about the fact that we come and we meet Jesus and in his grace, he receives us. I like the John Betjeman poem that talks about the wonder of Christmas. I think it sort of pulls together this idea of wondering and pondering and treasuring. And I close with this, this story that if we will allow it, will grab a hold of our lives and transform us and bring us to this place of reception. John, write, John Betjeman writes this. He says, no love, no love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple shaking bells can with this single truth compare that God was made in Palestine and lives today in bread and wine. How do we receive this gift? How do we receive this gift of the Christ child afresh today? John says, look at the story. Wonder at the story, ponder the story, and treasure the story. And watch how the Lord in his grace will bring you to a place of freshly receiving him today. Merry Christmas. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.